Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts interactive podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Wednesday, January 23rd, 2018. Today is officially National Pie Day, so get out there, find your favorite fresh or frozen fruits, and get baking. Today, our thought leader is U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO, who's putting perspective and an intelligent way to think about the Eat Lancet report issued last week on the implications for feeding a growing global population, and will share the number one flaw in the process of the commission. Today's podcast will then continue with a discussion with Cassidy Johnston, who, along with her husband and sons, work a cattle ranch in southeastern New Mexico. Cassidy, with her degree in environmental studies, has worked on five large ranches in three different states, and she blogs about the experience to help consumers sort through media surrounding food, what's safe, what's not, what's humane, and what's healthy. She hopes that by sharing her life with consumers, she can help them feel more connected to their food. Let's get started. So, Aaron, this new report that just came out, Food in the Anthropocene, the Eat Lancet Commission on Healthy Diets from Sustainable Food Systems to Improve Models and Pathways for Considering Nourishing Populations and Food Security. Wow. This is really setting the stage for the future of food. So tell us a little bit about this report. So the report attempts to define what constitutes a healthy diet from sustainable food systems. And I think we, you know, at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers are totally committed um, to food security and the decade of nutrition. But I think when we're having these conversations, one, that there are more than multiple one prescriptive diet (laughs) to achieve. Mm -hmm. And second, I think most importantly is if we want Um, the change to happen in these conversations. We have got to invite farmers into the conversation. I quite often say we're having these conversations where it's 70 degrees and fluorescent in our our meetings, but we're not really having the true conversation with the change agents, that being our farmers. We might need to include a more broader, inclusive conversation. So the bottom line is what, they're, what they've done is they've gotten food industry professionals, health experts, scientists, economists, everybody but the people who grow our food. So, you know, how do we work together and what's the way to think about this? Yeah, so we, we believe in the spirit um, that many of the researchers and business folks were attempting uh, in the report, but we thought we would try to offer like five pathways to maybe Mm -hmm. offer and inspire some collaboration um, because we do believe that this is an incredible grand challenge before us and we have to work together. We can't be talking past each other. So the first one is, hey, let's let's make sure our farmers are in the room. Let's collaborate with farmers. (laughs) And, you know, I know every day, every time I work with farmers, I'm so honored um, that they're on our board and part of our membership, I learn every single time from them. And I do believe that they are, you know, kind of the change agents of the future who steward, you know, 48% of the land in the United States. They can bring incredible solutions to bear. Um, the second is, you know, um, there is a very diverse population that needs to be nourished. Um, plant and animals play complementary roles within those di- diets and that you know, we need to make certain that uh, there's foods that are affordable and accessible, but also just improve our quality of life. We love and enjoy food. So how can we think 
more broadly about um, pathways that inspire transitions um, and complementary um, food eating patterns, not diets. And then recognize food maybe as a natural resource. You know, when food's harvested from our land, I like to say we should do our part to honor the harvest. Mm -hmm. we, we need to recognize that food should be put to its highest use first feeding people and, and don't, you know, putting it in a landfill, that's not right. um, honoring that harvest, you know, not taking too much, not, not wasting it. We need to do our part and, and really recognize that what's on our plate is valuable, both nutritionally and um, environmentally. So in that way, the food value chain and our consumers can reduce waste and loss and help farmers in this grand challenge. It's like thinking about food cycling. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just met um, a young lady who started a new business um, that basically she worked in a restaurant. And what she found is at the end of the night of the restaurant, um, one case in particular, the chef had prepared 40 gallons. Uh, I'm sorry, 40. Uh, yeah. I think it was 40 gallons of brown rice and it hadn't been sold that night and he was just going to waste it. So what she basically did is she took it and she's now started a business where based on the brown rice that she's collecting from PF Chang's and other restaurants in the San Diego area, she's making cookies. So well, you know, yeah, that food is not being wasted. It's going back and then she's actually donating all the profits to local food banks and so on. So that's what you're talking about, that we've really got to have a, a very different mind think um, when it comes to waste. It's not just, you know, putting too much on our plate and then throwing it out. It's across the entire supply chain. Exactly. It's a perfect example and just a mindset shift and how we think about these solutions. And I love that story because it's also thinking about its impact into our community where there's still 41 million Americans who are food insecure. Absolutely. So what's number four? Number four is really thinking about how can we mitigate and adapt to our natural resource constraints. You know, we do know that we can do more with less. American agriculture has improved incredibly in productivity, but there are increasingly constraints related to let's minimize our nitrogen and phosphorus. Let's think about recycling that and um, really working on um, climate smart technology that um, allows a level of precision field by field, acre by acre, that can help us quickly adapt and, and become more resilient um, in climate change. The other thing is to think like, you know, in the report, sometimes they think that, you know, you can just change an acre of land <laughs> and it can be something else. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, when you, maybe I'm a Midwest girl, but when you go to some of these states, like there's these like really harsh winters and mm -hmm. um, there's some land that's really rocky and not very easily tr transferable. So you can't just kind of wave a magic wand and expect this acreage to be changed. Um, you know, if you look out in American West, I always say what grows together goes together. You know, that, that is why we have incredible rangelands because that's what they're used for. That's what they have been used for for centuries. And um, there is a really unique interdependency between animals and plants mm -hmm. that make up our rangelands that actually we're finding out has incredible carbon sequestering potential. Um, and so that leads me to my fifth point, which is I'm not really certain everyone realizes that agriculture carbon 
is very different than fossil fuel based carbon. So right. <laughs> source matters. So yep. you cannot compare agricultural carbon to like a your SUV. Um, actually, the soils are in many ways like our oceans. They are sucking down carbon from the air. And you, maybe a way to, for everyone to think about it is like a bank. You know, farmers have been putting um, soil and keeping soil in a bank. Sure, we've lost some carbon, but it's a real small fraction that's being lost. And if you look at some of the models, we actually think that agriculture, we might have been underestimating its potential. And maybe we should think about, you know, our soils and integrated animals and food systems as a solution for climate change. And that's the main thing that we think that the report didn't consider with kind of a boots on the ground mindset is, my gosh, the opportunity is really on our farms. Um, we know we can solve this. Um, we actually might be a, a solution to climate change as a whole and um, offer really a pathway for a, maybe a, a broader and bigger conversation. Aaron, I think you're totally on, on the mark, uh, not only with all five points, but the last one. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I'd spent uh, three days with a whole bunch of potato farmers. And exactly what you're saying uh, with point number five, where they see themselves as certainly having living, breathing soil and everything that they can do to help with climate change. So, you know, the words that you're speaking are the words that the farmers are speaking and they're doing it today, you know, and they're doing it voluntarily. They're not doing it because somebody is saying, oh, here's what you have to do. They are the stewards of the land. They understand that for their farms to go on for generations and generations, they need to be doing these kinds of things. So what are the long-term implications of this report and for U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance? You know, I, I look at this report as just that, a report. Um, and, you know, I think while we're doing a lot of modeling, for me, it's how, you know, I really do believe people working together is the solution. Um, and we are inviting uh, scientists and uh, brands and, as you know, farmers to, to work together. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think this is going to be solved through a report. I truly do believe that there's bigger solutions. And just to come back, you know, to, to just how big of an opportunity we're talking about, um, you know, we, we said, well, what is happening right now and what is our farms really doing? If you think again about soil as being a bank, soil and what the animal integration is doing, that that means that we're already putting in the bank about 123 billion cars driven each year equivalent for the next 150 years of what we're storing. Wow. wow. It's impressive. And mm -hmm. then we know we can make incredible improvements in the future. So um, we're on this path, we're, we're on a mission, and just uh, really wanna make certain that um, we include farmers in the conversation and truly believe that they are the change agents who make this happen every single day. And um, we, we're calling on everyone to, to collaborate. Well, Aaron, again, thank you for your insights. Thank you for your leadership. And here's to a better agriculture world because of U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. And now here's the food news you need to know. 
We know that crops can be bred to resist disease, but is it possible to breed crops resilient to rising temperatures? Researchers from the University of California at Riverside recently discovered which genes in plants regulate growth in response to temperature. By utilizing the knowledge from this discovery, scientists could potentially breed crops that are less sensitive to heat or cold or that can adapt to climate fluctuations, which, as every farmer will tell you, could become critical if global temperatures keep changing. The introduction of this type of crop could be a huge boon to farmers in terms of climate adaptation and resiliency. What grocers need to know is that while there's still a lot to be explored and developed before we're growing and eating climate-resilient corn, for example, if this research can be developed and applied to various crops, it could have a hugely positive impact on food production, quality, availability, and where crops are grown, keeping a lot of agriculture right here in the U.S. And as the climate shifts and changes, so does the cattle industry. As we will hear shortly from Cassidy Johnston, the past is the past, as historically family farms and ranches have been handed down directly to men as a result of those notions that were held by European settlers and their descendants. As technology continues to revolutionize the ranching industry, the traditional role of cowboy has become less about physical strength and more about business, animal husbandry, and the environment. Enter the cowgirl, as approximately 14% of the nation's 2.1 million farms have a female proprietor, according to USDA. And this number will likely continue to rise as over half the farms and ranches in the U.S. are expected to change hands over the next 20 years. On January 11th, the New York Times ran a terrific column, Female Ranchers Are Reclaiming the American West. And it talked about historically that it was the female ranchers who roamed the frontier. While the cattle industry as a whole is continually improving by incorporating more sustainable practices and humane methods, the Times goes on to say that women are leading the trend of sustainable ranching and raising grass-fed breeds of cattle in humane, ecological ways. What grocers need to know is that as new technology changes the industry's need for physical strength, more women are leading with a continued focus on sustainable ranching and humane ecological practices. And the opportunity to partner with and promote them in store is a huge positive opportunity. And as traditional ranching and farming practices continue to shift and change, here's another new idea that's gaining traction. Recruiting ants to fight weeds on the farm. According to an international team of researchers, harvester ants have the potential to help farmers manage their farms. These particular ants tend to eat weed seeds on the soil's surface. Researchers also discovered that tilling the soil less helps to preserve the ants and their nests, which also helps farmers save on fuel and labor costs and preserve water and improve soil quality. Harvester ants can also assist farmers in managing herbicide-resistant weed species, and as ant colonies can potentially live for several years, these benefits can be long-lasting. Barbara Padro, a postdoctoral scholar in plant science from Penn State, said that these ants are naturally present in the fields. They're able to remove a huge amount of weed seeds from the system, and if farm tills less to preserve these ants, it can benefit them. What grocers need to know is how much work is being done on the farm to improve farming practices, and it's the farmers, the stewards of the land, who, with working along with researchers, may have the greatest impact on sustainability. 
Grocers need to forge relationships and have a dialogue with the farmer in order to fully understand how ag is evolving. And with more crops potentially being produced, here are some methods that grocers can utilize in order to move more product. These are five ways that grocers can sell more in 2019. Tom Blishock, chairman and CEO of the Dialogic Group, says it's time to elevate the consumer experience. With 40% of the center store going away by 2023, retailers will have to improve the in-store experience, which will include groceries. Number two, the importance of the right assortment cannot be overestimated. Bringing in the right mix of product innovation and creating new category staples will be essential to driving traffic into the store. That according to Nikki Jackson, founder and CEO of San Francisco-based RangeMe. Number three, concentrate on fresh and natural and organic. Progressive Grocer Magazine says that grocers must keep in mind that fresh is an area in which supermarkets have a natural advantage over other channels, especially online. Number four, Retailers will need to evolve how they're engaging shoppers in a digital universe, from their apps to their emails to their website, notes Diana Sheehan, director at Cantar Retail. Are they engaging their shoppers in ways that are personalized? Are they targeting shoppers with what they're looking for? And last, there's often a gap in store-level staff knowledge in terms of storage and handling, but retailers can improve shrink rates through utilizing proper best practices, staff education, and efficient ordering. This will create more consistent on-shelf product conditions without adversely affecting sales. What grocers need to know is get to know your farmers and ranchers and ask for their help in making that in-store experience the best it can be. No one argues how a beautiful, fresh, and aromatic produce department puts shoppers in a better mood. It's aromatherapy that makes the rest of that shopping experience more pleasurable. How can we work together to have the same result in other parts of the store? And now it's time for our Farmer Dialogue. Cassidy, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Hi, it's nice to be here. So, Cassidy, give me your perspective on cattle's function in our ecosystem. There's a, there's a lot of knowledge out there, some right, some wrong. Um, and in particular, I'd love to know how does cattle grazing help our environment? Okay. Um, so, cattle really do play a, a vital role in a rangeland ecosystem. And, you know, we call everywhere where cattle graze rangeland. So, it could be grass, it could be forest, you know, whatever it is. But these rangelands evolved to, to be grazed, or rather they co-evolved um, with grazing animals, grazing them. So they evolved to be grazed. Um, and so these rangelands aren't really healthy unless they're being grazed. The, the cycle is broken when you take the grazing animals out of the equation. Because the grazing animals provide ecosystem services to the land upon which they graze, they don't just hang out there and do nothing. Um, they're actually completing the cycle or they're part of the cycle of the lifetimes of those of the grasses and the soils and all of the plants that live there. Um, so when grass is grazed, the cattle eat some, they trample some, and they leave some, um, and they fertilize as they go, as we all know. Mm -hmm. So this combination of events means that sunlight can reach down far enough to encourage new growth, but that the soil isn't bare, so 
so it's not getting scorched and eroded like it would in a situation where something is overgrazed. The new growth happens above and below the ground, so the roots are getting stronger too, which is making the soil better. And without cattle, the cycle, like I said, would be broken and eventually some or all of the grasses would die. There are places in the world where, like in the sandhills of Nebraska, for instance, where cattle were removed and it was it was a bad deal. Everything, it, it became basically a, a barren dust bowl situation. And with the reintroduction of well-managed grazing, they've really seen that ecosystem come back. So cattle are, are, are vital. So Cassidy, not just with, with cattle ranching, but in all of farming, what I'm hearing from farmers and ranchers consistently is we're, we're actually moving back to the way nature intended the planet farming, you know, all of this to be. Because as you're describing the function of, of the cattle, I mean, this is really healthy for our ecosystem. And, and also, what do cattle specifically do for soil? And, and what about, you know, carbon? We, we hear a lot about carbon um, with, with cattle. What's the real story? Well, um, the answer to that is we aren't quite sure yet. Um, from what I understand, there are lots of studies happening about what healthy soils can do, how much carbon they sequester. But even though we don't know how much all the time, we know that so healthy soils are huge carbon sinks. And so if we are helping the soil um, become healthier and, and re regenerating the, the soil and all the processes and the microbes and all that, then we know that we're improving the soil's ability to uptake carbon. Um, like I said, that we still don't know, and obviously it varies from different ecosystem to different ecosystem because, you know, like in the desert where, where I live, mm -hmm. um, the carbon content in the soil is much different than in, say, the coastal plains of Georgia or the sand hills or Iowa. So, as far as I understand, scientists are, are there are lots of studies going on and scientists are still learning um, and ranchers and farmers are still learning um, exactly how much power there is, but we know it's a lot. And I'm really, really excited for all of the things that are coming down the pike from academics and ranchers and farmers alike. And also um, for us to be able to learn more and utilize that power to enhance the qualities of our soils even more. So. You know, there's two things that I always talk to farmers about and always learn from farmers about. Um, soil, as we've talked about, and water, uh, both being critical elements and, and inputs to farming. So with, you know, the American West um, having the water situation, um, we know how precious it is. We know about climate change. What are ranchers' views on water and how is it getting better? Well, where we are, um, because it is very dry, we have between 14 and 15 inches of rain a year, we hope. Um, water is everything for us. Um, everything we do on the ranch revolves around the care of the cattle and the water, basically. Um, and ranchers as a whole, ranchers and farmers as a whole, really appreciate how precious water is. We there's this idea that because cattle do consume a lot of water, I'm not saying they don't, they absolutely do. But because they do, there are some people who think that, you know, we just are a little bit flip with how much water we use, and that is not the case. 
So where we live, um, there's very little surface water. So we don't have rivers and ponds and streams and things like that. So we almost all of our water, save for some that comes out of springs, um, comes out of the ground from wells. So we have to pump it up and then it goes into a storage tank and is distributed um, well, many storage tanks and it's distributed um, throughout the ranch through pipelines. And so every single day, no matter if it's raining or shining or Christmas or whatever, um, the ranchers and cowboys in our area are checking water to make sure that the cattle have water, make sure there are no leaks, make sure the pumps are functioning. And so water is, is very important. And then, you know, we're learning, like same with soil, you were learning a lot more about how to conserve water and the engineering and the, and the technology that has come in the last decade or so, um, or even before that, has really advanced the water systems on ranches. You know, we have um, soil, soil, solar panels um, to pump our water instead of other ways of doing it. We try not to run generators if we don't have to, although sometimes when the sun doesn't shine, um, mm -hmm. we do need to do that so our cattle have water. Um, but just, you know, little things like covered tanks and good good pipeline and being able to use good materials and um, really utilize mechanics and things like that has really helped us really conserve water. And also when we have a leak, we tend to it right away. Um, I can't tell you how many times my husband or the neighbors have been fixing water leaks mm -hmm. on Sundays, which is usually sure. their day off or in the dark, or on Christmas, or, you know, missing missing all manner of, of family things because they have to keep the water running and we don't waste water. We really try very hard not to waste water. Cassidy, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insights. Much appreciated. And thank you for joining us on Farm Food Facts. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab. And visit us on Facebook at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers or on Twitter at USFRA. Until next week.